Life is about building dope shit that people actually remember you for. And the whole reason I wanna put this content engine in motion is to help tell stories to people about interesting shit. Like I like doing that, but also it's to create a platform to then build the dope shit. Say I could go in and build a Joe Rogan GPT. Now, if it becomes incredibly popular and incredibly profitable, then Joe's team might be like, hey, this is not okay with us. We're either gonna shut you down or we need 70% of your profits. Mr. Beast will have a video, a bunch of people will take it, chop it up, and then they're getting paid on the creator fund. And like Mr. Beast, right. he, it doesn't even seem like he's interested in trying to like capture that lost revenue. Okay, so he's smart. You know, he, you know, he knows that it helps. I want this to become like a can't miss in the rotation for builders, creators, entrepreneurs. Like if you are playing in these spaces and playing in these circles, you're going to need to know this information and nobody's going to package it as well as we are. The most, you know, time sensitive topic right now is the open AI event. So it happened yesterday, Dev Day. They launched a couple huge things. And why don't you kind of set up Kind of like give a quick because you you had a, a dope little short rundown of all the coolest things that they talked about. So maybe start there, and then we can dive in wherever. But there's a couple questions I have for you that we can we can start with. Yeah, I mean, I think I think for the purpose of this podcast, like what I really want to talk about is the new GPT store, which is like OpenAI's efforts to become really like a platform, which is which is really interesting, right? And me as somebody who who was kind of early. It was 2013, so not like right at the beginning, but sort of early to like the iOS app wave where there was this arbitrage opportunity where, you know, the volume of iPhones was just exploding and people were looking for apps to use. I think the same kind of thing might happen in ChatGPT. We just announced they have 100 million weekly active users. But for the context of this conversation, I really kind of want to touch on that. But they also announced a ton of other things. They announced a new model, GPT-4 Turbo, which is 128K context, meaning you can pretty much feed it like the great Gatsby novel. Which is crazy. And, yeah, we, we, which is nuts, right? Like n now for like the average person, I don't know how useful that is. And I've yet to test out the model. So I don't know how, how much more robust it is in like previous versions. But the other thing that's really cool as a developer is they cut the price of the model by two thirds, I believe, right? And so that's awesome. They basically just all of the developers building on top of the chat of open AI ecosystem basically got a discount but at the same time, like every update, they're also like knocking startups left and right, right? Because yeah. there was a lot of startups basically building custom GPTs, like character AI is one that comes to mind. But yeah, I mean, they announced an assistance API, which is really cool as well. Like I said, man, the GPT is the big announcement. I think it's an opportunity yeah. for a lot of creators and entrepreneurs alike. The GPT stuff is what I want to dive into. So my first question was, so they had, OpenAI had launched plugins, which was effectively like a mini app store within ChatGPT, but the interface was kind of shitty and like you had to click from a dropdown and, and nobody use it. Used them. And nobody used them. Yeah. So is, is GPTs, which is what they came out with, which is basically the new app store, that's effectively the next generation of plugins. They kind of just, I'm assuming they're gonna roll plugins into it and then GPTs is now the branding or are these separate, are these separate things now? Yeah, they're, they're completely separate things. And there was like a debate on Twitter or X where, you know, a lot of people were impressed with the tech, but they were like, the adoption curve is just not going to exist here because it's still, it's, it's not frictionless still, right? Like ChatGPT is not the most intuitive interface. So you have to understand what you're doing. You have to, first of all, you have to pay the $20 a month to be a premium thing. And then you have to understand how to access these things. And it's just not for, it, it, it's still pretty techy, you know, it still feels like yeah. a little, uh, a little convoluted. So I don't know that that the uh, that the consumer facing 
kind of UI is there yet. And I also think a lot of people are in the same boat that they may need, and they're working on it. This is why Sam Altman and Joni Ive are working on a piece of hardware. They may, they may need hardware before like this really, really takes off. And so I think, I think GPTs are a lot more robust than plugins, but I'm kind of of the same mindset of a lot of people where I don't know that these, that there's going to be wide adoption here. The a snapshot of GPTs is they're customizable uh, versions of chat GPT for specific use cases. And so the best, you know, like when I was watching the best analog immediately popped in my head, as you mentioned, is kind of like the app store. Like this is the, the app store moment for AI, but my, you know, and, and they flash this like cool thing of all the different, you know, plugins or GPTs that have been created and all the different use cases. But as I thought about it, I think there are some, some really big questions and like interesting differences between the app store moment and kind of what we're seeing here. And, and the fact that you were a developer and like we're in the app store wave is going to be dope to, to, to talk about because the, the thing you saw on Twitter was everybody's like, Oh, like uh, immediately in two minutes, like 30,000 startups were just, are just went out of business. And basically what they were alluding to is all these GPT, all these chat GPT wrappers were built upon OpenAI's API basically. Now, unless you're Google or Anthropic, every other big tech company is also building on top of that same layer, which means in theory, any big tech company can just come and in, you know, five to 10 minutes or, you know, that's an exaggeration, but in a couple of days, basically replace and outkick any specific use case version of ChatGPT, these new GPTs. So like an example that popped into my head, if you made a, a trip planner version of of, of chat GPT that you called like book me or something. And you went in and you allowed a user to just like type where they wanted to go and add a few prompts of the things they like to do. And you kind of plan their trip itinerary. Well, there's no reason why Airbnb wouldn't just go use the same open, a open AI API and build their own version of that directly into the Airbnb app. So for you, like a big question that a big question, I don't, I don't know why the problem, but for a big question uh, yeah, where, that was that from, I think there's like, there's something with iOS 17 where if you do a thumbs up and there's like a, oh. <laughs> there's different motions that you can, uh, that you can put in. So we got a thumbs up That's on dope. there for the people That's watching dope. on YouTube. But the big question for you is this, did this just put out of business tens of thousands of, of AI startups that were building on top of open AI, or is this actually a watershed moment that lets them win more? How do you, how do you feel yeah, about yeah, that? Yeah, I, I kind of think the latter, right? I actually think it, it creates more businesses than it dissolves or that it beats. And I think a lot like, Here's a couple examples that I that I really like. I saw um, yesterday was uh, somebody named Ibrahim Ahmed, and he built a GPT where basically with, with the increased context, he's able to do this now, where you feed it a YouTube video and it built a, now you can have a conversation with that YouTube video if it makes sense. So say it's like a 30 minute video about World War II or like a battle that happened in World War II. Now he built a GPT specific to be able to use in any YouTube video where you can talk about, hey, did this YouTube video cover this specific incident in this battle what about it what do they say how do they approach it that might not be the best example but think about maybe this podcast somebody's going to be able to, to create a gpt to to interface conversationally with what we're saying what we're presenting our assessments our ideas our opinions and just be able to say hey what did kane or, or callaway what what did what did he think about the new gpts i don't really want to watch the video i just want to know what he thought about the new gpts okay did he mention anything about this specific you see what I'm getting at? Yeah. So yeah. I think that is really compelling. That is interesting. And that's something that can be packaged up and that becomes a business in its sense. Now, the moat is pretty, I would say, I mean, these things like that, that one I think took 10 minutes to build. So there's really no moat. 
Yeah. I think it's sort of akin to, to drop shipping in a way where you're, the game is the marketing, right? Like how to p- package these items. You're using somebody else's uh, logistics, fulfillment, et cetera. So it's really just a marketing exercise. I think with GPTs from the get anyways, like some of the people who are going to be really successful with this are creators with massive audiences already who are just kind of taking a very simple tool that might have taken them 20 minutes to use and just putting their own marketing and packaging spin on it. Does that make sense? So yeah, um, I, I, I do think it's going to be like a bit of a drop shipping arbitrage wave that might happen here. And I think that there'll always be a long tail that big tech companies won't chase. Like there'll always be like niche use cases that are either seemingly too small or at the beginning seem too yeah. small. So that that's, you know, that makes sense. And I think a big question for me is what, what the future of media looks like, because basically they, they debuted or, uh, or they announced like a rev share. And so effectively what's going to happen is you're going to have this marketplace with thousands of different GPTs that are designed for specific use cases. And if, you know, mainstream population, or I don't know how many it will require to monetize, but like if tens of thousands of people are using your GPT, like there will be one for recipes or like a couple that are the mm-hmm. po- most popular ones. Whoever were the creators of those is going to get this huge rev share from OpenAI, and and so that makes sense. And like, there's a lot of interesting use cases that, like we said, big tech won't chase that people will make really good money on. But the question is, like that example you gave with our podcast, or take Joe Rogan for example. Joe Rogan has spent the last like ten years building this huge library of content. Is it going to be allowed for any random person to basically rip all those audio, all those episodes down, train their own GPT, and then they profit off of like Joe Rogan's collected insight versus Joe Rogan being able to do that? Like, how do you think that evolves? Because I think unless there's, I'm free for, I, I love like open landscapes and like when there's no regulation, but I could just, I can see the wheels spinning of these like legacy media companies that want these guardrails. What do you think about this? Yeah, I'm not I'm not too familiar with the um, you know how how the regulation might play out here. It is going to play out, right? And it's going to be like one of the biggest regulatory challenges of of our time. With the Joe Rogan example, I th- his likeness is already protected by law, right? And so somebody say I could go in and build a Joe Rogan uh, GPT. Um, now, if it becomes incredibly popular and incredibly profitable, then Joe's team might be like hey, this is not okay with us. We're going to go in there. We need at least a little bit of this. Uh, we're either going to shut you down or we need 70% of your profits. Or they, their assessment might be, this makes us more popular. This brings more fans to our show, brings in more to our ecosystem. So I don't think it's any different than, like already I could create a clothing line with a logo that I don't have access to. More yeah. than likely I'm going to get away with it unless it becomes incredibly popular, incredibly profitable, right? And then they're going to come for their dough. So I, I, I think the law is are already in place to, to protect from this. I just think it, I think you'll be able to get away with it as long as you kind of stay small. Yeah. A good you know, analog so to this. It, yeah. A good analog to this is like on TikTok, right? Like Mr. Beast will have a video, a bunch of people will take it, chop it up, and then they're getting paid on the creator fund. And like Mr. Beast, right. not, he, it doesn't even seem like he's interested in trying to like capture that, that lost revenue. No, he's smart. I know, you know, he knows that it helps him. Yeah. But if he wanted to, he has a case there. Hey, this is my content. I didn't give you authorization to use it. He could get that taken down. Those guys can get a copy strike. But like he's smart enough to realize that that's counterintuitive to, to what his mission is. So yeah. One, o- attention. one other thought I had was, so when they were, when they were demoing how you make a GPT, basically it's like you have a conversation with ChatGPT, and it felt like the deeper you go in that conversation, the more nuanced and like more trained you can make the GPT. So one potential moat would be like, like if you take the 
a restaurant booking example. Like Open Table is going to have a GPT, like the Open Table one, but then like Billy from Idaho could also make could like permissionlessly make a restaurant booking GPT. And the difference, like I was trying to think like, why, why ever would Billy's GPT win out? Like why would more people use, right. but it's possible that like Billy spent weeks training the GPT with like certain humor or like fed it certain things like narratives that open a open table maybe didn't think to do or like didn't try to do. And so I, I actually think there's like this really interesting gap where the legacy big boy might not win because i think if if it is like i'm I'm curious how you perceived the training when you watched it too but like if it truly is where like the deeper you go in the chat the more nuanced you make it the smarter you make it like there's a moat in time spent to train the app you know or to train the gpt yeah and, and the thing with gpt too now the new model could be breakthrough right this was already possible before you could already fine-tune models right like i think the the big breakthrough here is that you don't need to know how to code now to do it right so anybody can do it just conversationally with which i think is really cool i feel like on a macro level when i think about moats i don't think a lot of any of these tech companies really have a moat i do feel like when it comes to ai a lot of this stuff is going to be commoditized in two or three years, and it's all going to reach a point where the, 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 the growth chart is going to kind of start to equalize and plateau. And so that's why I've always been on record saying, like, I think proprietary data is the key here. When it comes to the moat uh, in the example that you gave, man, I think, I think the only moat is brand. Yeah, is exactly. Trust. I'm like, I, I, I'm, I can't overstate this enough. I think especially like as creators, I think trust is the game. And people always, always sacrifice that long-term trust and that long-term goodwill with the audience for the short-term revenue boost or whatever it may be. Yeah. And I do think when it comes to, you know, like a lot of the examples that you gave is like, I might use my favorite creators GPT over open tables just because I fuck with them. Like I like them, I trust them. And I know their story, they presented it well to me and like I'm rooting for them. And like on a macro level, even when it comes to like these big tech companies, which I do think incumbents are basically just going to win the whole game. But like ChatGPT, you know why they're going to survive and win? I think brand. Yeah, everybody that's the knows ChatGPT now. It's the new. It's it's exactly. You don't say go ask AI. You say ask ChatGPT. I don't know that they have like enough of a head start for that to to you know. I I, I kind of do think that they do. Like I don't think it'll ever be a thing. Ask Claude. I just think it's too late. Like it's already permeated like the public conscious. Like chat gpt gpt chat gpt open ai so they win they're going to win off brand and that's going to be their moat even even if anthropic like leapfrogs them because there was a time where i thought claude was better than chat gpt yeah me too but a short window I, I'm still like nobody's going to use claude besides like the the dorks that really love this stuff so and that just shows you how things change because i think there's been a kind of like trope in silicon valley that like you don't have to be first like uber was the fourth ride sharing company and they ultimately i mean uber and lyft won but like uber was the big winner but here i do think being first and like getting that putting like it's like going to a new planet like putting the flag down and being like we are the one ai brand that a normal person in ohio is going to reference chat gpt there's yeah. so much value in that when, when you talk i get so excited because i feel like the last wave was everybody had ideas but there was a a hurdle in technical ability or capital to higher technical ability that prevented a lot of people from being to action and now this next wave you know, we'll see how it plays out, but this next wave is like, okay, that technical hurdle has come way down. Like certain things you still need, you need like AI developers and, and machine learning engineers to be able to do. But for the most part, what OpenAI is doing is basically opening the toolbox and letting everybody have access. 
equal opportunity to build whatever you want. That's so sick. If you're sitting there, that's dope. That is dope. I mean, I'm, I'm really bullish on them, right? I think there's only one sort of elephant in the room, I guess, so to speak, but you know, we can get into it. Supposedly they're, they're falling really far behind, but they're going to invest to, to make uh, make up ground, but Apple, right? Like Apple is the one that I think can really, really challenge chat GPT for like the sort of de facto AI. If they come out with something pretty spectacular, I mean, it's already baked into, you know, however many Apple devices there are around the world and all really kind of like the tastemakers, influencers, creators, and, and people of like major significance around the world. I would say 90 plus percent of them are using Apple. That will remove all friction that we currently have to use chat GPT. And I, I do think they could make a play here. I have to imagine that they're like allocating so many resources to, to make this happen. But that's the only, to me, like the only real threat for open AI, not really hitting kind of like critical mass and becoming like that multi hundred billion dollar company that I think they'll become. What do you, what do you think happened inside Apple during this wave? Cause I, at first I was like, you know, everyone was launching stuff and I just assumed Apple was doing what they always do, which is like sit back, assess the market, then come yeah. out with something sick. And that's what I was assuming. Then I read an article. It was on, I think it was on Bloomberg that was basically like the the tone and mood inside Apple was like, holy shit, we missed this. Like we were not ready for this because they had Siri before. I don't know if Alexa or Siri was first, but like they had Siri before anything else. And you, you could see how like Whisper from OpenAI is basically like Siri on steroids and they had such a huge lead. Way better. And so I'm, I'm wondering if they just missed this. Not that they didn't have the technical ability, but they just weren't focused on it. And then when ChatGPT took off, they were like, you know, they have so many things in the, in motion and they're really a hardware, hardware, software complement, but like hardware is a lot of the focus. And I'm sure they were trying to do the VR goggles was like the huge, big moonshot. So what do you think? Do you think they missed it? Or do you think they've been intentional this whole time and like tried to wait it out? Cause they don't even mention it in their, in their calls, you know? Yeah. That, that's kind of the, uh, the debate, right? So I read that same article and the same article pointed to their secrecy culture as one of the reasons that they did miss it. Because apparently, at least that Bloomberg article alluded to, a lot of great talent is kind of turned off by Apple because of the secrecy culture. And perhaps that's the reason they missed it. But perhaps that's also the reason that we just don't know. And maybe they do have something up their sleeves. You know, Apple, like it, it would it probably would not have leaked. We'd hope that it's coming because Siri, dude, is garbage. Yeah, seriously. Right? So I, I do not, I don't, I just do not use it anymore Me unless it's like a really menial, basic task, like add this to my calendar. Um, but it's completely garbage and has been leapfrogged, like you said, with open AI. So I don't, I don't know where Apple sits. I mean, this is the first time where I'm seeing sort of negative sentiment amongst Apple investors too, which is interesting because for the last like 15 years tracking the stock, I haven't seen it where now I don't want to butcher the numbers, but I know there's been multiple quarters now where their revenue has, has reduced from previous quarters. So this has been like a company that's just been accelerating in, in terms of revenue, especially post jobs. Everybody says they've, you know, their innovation has, has died down in the, in the cook era, but like cook has done a phenomenal job as an operator. And like Apple is just, I mean, it's a three plus trillion dollar company now, but I'm finally now seeing where even with the iPhone 15 pro, like people don't want to upgrade anymore. There's not, it's not like that compelling anymore. Vision pro, maybe it'll be that product. I doubt it. We'll, we can talk about it, but maybe Apple is just not the innovative company it once was. And maybe they're leaning too far into like what you said, their game plan is always sit back, look at what gets hot, and then just do it better. But with AI, as you just talked about, 
timing was a little bit important, right? Yeah. And of the, the essence. And um, that head start that some of these other companies have, I don't know if it's insurmountable, but it's going to be really interesting to see over the next few years. Because if you compare Apple to Google, right? Like Google's response was like, holy shit, throw everything at this. Like they were not, they were not messing around. As soon as ChatGPT gained steam, they, you saw like all those articles about like, it's panic, everyone's working late hours, like they're all, and they, and they yeah. improved BARD a lot and they immediately, every yeah. Microsoft event or every open AI announcement, they had one coming. So that was like one play at it was realize the importance of timing, close the gap. Apple's still kind of like sitting back. I don't know if they're, maybe, maybe that's their PR strategy is like, let's not make it feel like we missed it and like slowly creep up. And then when they drop a, their own model in a year, even though we think it may be too late, you know, maybe they'll, because they have the, the upper hand on all of the physical device implementation all across the world, maybe they'll be able to have closing speed. But yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I think uh, one thing before we go to another topic, so I'm curious, so you're a builder, you've got a Luna AI, you've, you've tackled a lot of these waves with like a good product mind. So you're like, there's a new wave, what can be built? I'm curious if, have you given any thought when you, I know the call was just yesterday with, with OpenAI, but when you watch the GPT announcement, I'm sure your wheels were spinning. Like if you were sitting at home and you're 21 and you're scrappy and you're a builder and you're like on the edges, do you have any ideas for where there might be white space that is really interesting? Could be like a specific use case application of a GPT or just like an overall category that you feel like maybe a little protected from the big tech companies copying it? Yeah, it's tough, right? I mean, like the, the first thing that, that comes to mind, it's a little bit different from, from building on iOS, but there are a lot of parallels. And, and the one parallel is that you do have the platform risk. If you're building on top of OpenAI, you're kind of limited by, by the decisions that they make moving forward. So as an example, ChatGPT is a great example. When I first started using ChatGPT, I thought it was a much better experience than it is now. I think it's been completely neutered, Yeah. right? And I think for developers building on top of that ecosystem, there is that risk that they're afforded. That's why I, I, I do love open source software when it comes to this. Like I think our next, uh, you mentioned Aluna. We're actually gonna be moving away from media generation just because I don't think that's a game that we can win against like the Firefly. giants, Adobe, Midjourney, etc. Right. So we're moving more towards, we're tackling the problem of ideation, scripting, and research, which we could talk about later. I think creators, 80% of the time spent by a creator is ideation, scripting, and research. And so we have some really, really good ideas to be able to solve some of those problems. As far as the platform risk, I think that's kind of scary. And I'd almost encourage creators, like I'm looking really, really closely into, into Llama as an example right? Just because it doesn't have like the same intrinsic risks as building on open AI. But with that aside, you're asking like what ideas I have. I don't know. It's a little bit tricky, right? Because it's, it's again, it's, it's completely different than building on iOS, which you really needed really strong proprietary at the time, objective C code. You needed a great understanding of design. Now it's, um, it's like com almost it's, commoditized. It's the There's no growth. moat, man. It's, 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 so, it's so commoditized that you're, you're going to be competing. It's like, it's like TikTok shop today, TikTok shop. Yes, it's a massive opportunity, but it's so easy. The, the, the barrier of entry, so, like you're competing against a trillion other people. So yeah, you're going to hear those stories about how so-and-so made a million dollars, but 99.9% .9 of people are just going to go, they're just going to lose money on it. I think it's going to be the same thing here. And so for me, it's a different game where the game now is distribution. This is why I'm pushing everybody to be a creator. Distribution is going to be the most valuable commodity in the world moving forward, attention. And so the game now is how you can package up sort of this, 
I don't want to call it like gimmicky, but sort of like you said, this, this slow barrier to entry technology, how you can package that up. What is the marketing and distribution behind it? What's the story you can tell behind it for people to come use? Because otherwise, I, I, I'm not seeing anything here where somebody's going to have a distinct technological moat where we did have before when, you know, building iOS apps, et cetera. So yeah, that's, does that, does that make sense? It makes sense. Like, I, like scrambled mind. No, no, it makes know. sense. I think at the end of the day, like when all of the technological moat gets commoditized to zero, it's just I, like brand distribution and taste. That's it. That's all that's left. And exactly, so man. that's yeah. where yeah. if you're trying to play like the waves ahead of when they crash, like the build on AI and extract value through a GPT wrapper, like that is probably either gone or going to get arbed away really soon in the next six to 12 months. But what I think the, the next wave of like five years from now, people will be looking back five years ago being like, holy shit, this is when I should have started. I do think it go, it all roads lead back to building distribution, building con like making content and trying to build trust. 100%. So that's why we're here. I would definitely like and subscribe if you're uh, listening to this. So to throw a new hat into the AI ring, Elon announced Grok. I think Grok's how you pronounce it, right? I think so. Yeah. You never know with yeah, Elon. Yeah, I actually looked this up. I, I typed in like Grok pronunciation and I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Yeah. So he, he announced Grok, which is the AI coming from XAI. So if Elon wasn't busy enough with SpaceX, Tesla, Boring Company, Neuralink, et cetera, twi I mean, Twitter, uh, X, he also launched XAI. Now, there's something really brilliant here. I mean, there's a few things, but I don't think we know a ton. I'm curious what, what you've read about this or like what their plans are. From my perspective, being able to train the AI on proprietary data sets that OpenAI cannot get access to, that is the only moat left. So like if you're a little startup, you're probably not gonna have the resources or the compute to be able to build your own model that's like sophisticated and separate from OpenAI. But Twitter is the best real-time news source, basically propagator of cultural information in the world. And what, and, and this is the most interesting thing I was thinking about this, when Elon bought Twitter, he basically got goaded, like tricked into buying it for 44 billion. Everyone was like, what an idiot. But it may turn out that buying Twitter as a data source was actually worth magnitudes more than 44 billion at the end of the day. Because OpenAI is already worth like 100 billion. And now Elon has this amazing moat around, you could argue the most real time relevant news data in the world. So I'm curious, like what, what's your take on that? And what, where, where does your mind go when you see him throwing this announcement in the ring? Yeah, well, the first thing you, you said is the first thing that, that came to mind. I said, wow, that $44 billion price tag starts making a little more sense. Now, I don't know if this was premeditated. He got lucky, I think. <laughs> maybe he got lucky and kind of fell into it. Or maybe not, because he wasn't the founding team of OpenAI. He has been thinking about this for, for some time. So maybe he, he is playing 4D interdimensional chess or whatever they say. But it all starts making sense now, right? We just talked about earlier that we think proprietary data is the game. Everything's going to get commoditized, so it's all about the data. There's no, re there's no secret why, um, I don't know if you remember earlier this year, Reddit like basically made their API unaffordable. Even some of their top, I think the Apollo developer was like, I can no longer continue yeah. to, to support this app. It's going to be too expensive in the millions. Twitter's doing the same thing. We were just looking at Twitter to, to integrate their API into this new post tool that we're building. And forget it, man. At the beginning, it's not going to make any sense. It's $5,000 plus a month. I think even more expensive in some instances, depending on how much the data usage is. And there's no secret as to why these companies are starting to safeguard their data a little more, make it a little more inaccessible. It's also very obvious to me now why Zuck pushed out threads when he, when he pushed it out. 
everybody understands that AI is the game. This is going to power the future, the technology of the future, and proprietary data is what's most important. So to me, I'm like, okay, I'm starting to see this now. The $44 billion price tag. They have access to the best, I think, the best real-time data on the For internet. Sure. Community Notes is an integral piece of this because I was going to say, who wants a, a LLM trained on like, you know, because... Yeah, dumb shit on Twitter. Twitter. There's still a lot of crypto shills, <laughs> yeah. only fans, bots, a lot of bullshit. Who wants an LLM trained on that with disinformation running rampant? Commuter notes is, is an important piece of that. And then the last thing I'll say is he also they also mentioned that Grok is going to be powering Teslas, right, with local uh, computing power. And so now I'm starting to piece together, like, okay, I see how Twitter fits so brilliantly into his entire ecosystem with XAI. This eventually maybe some intelligence on board Starlink, et cetera. Like, I, I'm starting to understand now because I do think Elon's, end game is i don't i don't know how long it'll be i don't know if it'll be this decade or next but his end game is to take his entire ecosystem of all these breakthrough innovative companies put them all under one hold co so to speak and make that public and that's his that's how he becomes a trillion yeah. so it all starts making sense but granted I'm, I'm, t- I'm, I'm talking as somebody who has not tried out grok yet and it could be a total pile of shit yeah like so TB- i haven't tried it out either and i think it, likely the way elon ships is like he'll just ship it as soon as it's possible to be shipped even though the interface might not be ideal and there might be problems so it's possible that like for the first six months grok is a waste in terms of like the user interface and the value you can get from it but yeah i mean the the hilarious thing is like when you look backwards that's when you can always connect the dots and so it's like was elon this masterminded being like the reason right. he'd overpay and like be willing to not fight it because he could i think he could have walked away and paid like a five billion dollar fine so if he really wanted to get out of it and ego wasn't on the table which like it it's always on the table for him but if he if, he, if ego was on the table he could have gotten away and saved 30 billion but he went through with it and it's possible that he was thinking about this as the best proprietary data source where my head goes is what other companies have uniquely proprietary data sources that could be purchased now by the big players. So Reddit, Reddit, they already closed the gates, but like someone could buy Reddit. I don't know. I forget, I don't know if Reddit's public or private. I think they're public, right? I, I don't know if they're public or I private. I think they're owned by Condé Nast, which is, which is public. I'd have to, uh, I'd have to. And look so like up. that Reddit is a, is probably second to Twitter in terms of like the most. Yeah. It's a private company. It's still. Private. So somebody's yeah. going to come in and buy. So that's what I think like a huge opportunity is. And you know, this, this clip will go viral <laughs> for sure is if whoever comes in and buys these gold mines of private data, that's where you can create like differentiated enterprise value. And so Reddit would be one. I think there's a shit ton of B2B software companies with like really unique data plays that could be other ones where like a Salesforce comes in and acquires a company that whose product and like user experience doesn't make sense for the Salesforce ecosystem, but the data is so valuable for the Salesforce AI. I'm curious if any others come to mind. I know this is like on the top, but... This is where the like the undiscovered gold is. I think is in these private data sources. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Google and Apple come to mind, right? Like they. Um, but here, here's the thing: like, OpenAI, what data are they using? Like, this is all also going to play out. I think in court is like Midjourney is a great example as well. They're scraping data from Hollywood movies, yeah, you know, 4K Hollywood movie. They're scraping data that they don't have access or ownership or that they don't have ownership to. I wonder if that ever does play out in a major way. I think the only way that it does is if Apple gets into the game and they're like this is this is our strategy. We're going to knock them out just through like uh legislative might. 
But yeah, I mean, it, it all comes back to to what data is public versus private. What what how the regulatory chips are going to fall? Because I mean, OpenAI is already trained on a lot of data that you know a lot of these gold mine data sources that they didn't have permission to train on. But I wonder if they're just too big now that to, to kind of get in trouble. That and so you, you you could basically but, say like the big models right now are you've got OpenAI's like ChatGPT, right? So that and that's like the Microsoft co-owned model. You've got Google's, which is Bard. You've got Meta's, which is Llama. That's open source, right? You were saying it's open source. And then you've got Anthropic, which Google put a bunch of money into. That's Claude, right? Anthropics is called Claude. Yeah. So yeah. Are, there, are there any other? So Grok would be like the fifth. Are there any other to that that are really big? Yeah, those, those are the four big ones. Yeah. So do you see a world where, I mean, I don't like, what's the differentiation between ChatGPT, Bard, and Claude in terms of like, why would you need to pay for all three would you just pick one, you know, like, cause what I'm trying to figure out is like, as a user, the way, the way like streaming works is you've got subscriptions of Netflix and HBO and Hulu. And the reason you pay for all these is cause they have proprietary content and like locked it up in ways that the other ones can't, you know, it'd be hindsight's 2020, but it'd be sick if we could just have access to everything like the, like the cable bundle was. But the question is like with these AI models, you'll probably pay for one of the big ones and the Grok one because you want access to the real-time Twitter stuff that none of the other ones have. So do you see a world where we're subscribed to like five of these and maybe there's like a wrapper on top that allows us to use them all in one interface or like, what do you think? Or is it too early to even know? I don't, I mean, like me personally, I'm, I'm thinking about it from a consumer standpoint and also from like uh, uh, somebody who builds product is like, for me, friction is everything, right? Like how can you reduce friction? And so, like I said, when it comes to Apple, if it's on par, or even if it's like a little bit less potent than like a chat GPT, I'm probably going to use primarily Apple just cause I said, man, it's, it's just like that being able to just, Hey, Apple, da, 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 da. Like I just, I just want to, I don't want any steps of friction, right? I just want to go to the device that I have in my hands at all times, ask it a question and get a really comprehensive answer. Exactly what I'm looking for. So I don't, I don't, right now see a reason to subscribe or pay to more than one unless you have like really specific use cases and now i'm thinking if you have these really specific use cases you can build your own agents uh you know to perform whatever tasks it is that that helps you out in like your daily workflows so as of right now even though i love claude and i've actually been using claude just i don't think there's any real reason i just think it's a prettier interface yeah. and that matters for me um I'd probably just use specifically OpenAI's ecosystem right now when it when it comes to like uh, interfacing with AI. Yeah, and I try, but I think that can change. Like I said, if the frictions reduce. Yeah, I agree. And I and I try to think about like what's from a consumer lens. Like what's the what's the dream state? Like in my mind, the dream state is you're sitting at your desk or wherever you are. You have something that's always on, and you just like speak commands. And it just does them across every app, like everything you have an account for. So that was that was another thing I thought was really cool from the OpenAI event is they showed that GPT that was basically Zapier, which connects all the apps that Zapier has, which is like everything anyone uses. And so you can be like, book me a call at three, Slack me or like message this person to tell them I'm going to be late. Like you, you can, you know, add this to my list, check this off my list. You can just, I mean, I, they didn't show the speaking, but I think with Whisper, you can probably just speak and stuff just happens, which is so dope. Like that's like that's crazy. Imagine if you can speak to edit videos. That that was another use case. I was like, that's gonna be sick when Premiere has that. Is you just say like, make a cut after this. Like add a graphic from here. Go. You know, like there's just so many things that become a thousand times easier when you have one interface that is connected to everything and it's voice powered. 
Yeah, man. I mean, this is why there's a big gold rush right now for AI wearables, right? Humane, two days. I don't know when this is going to premiere, but November 9th, Humane, Humane's re- revealing their pin. There's a lot of like entrepreneurs on Twitter. There was one called Tab. I don't know if you saw it. It was like a, yeah, yeah. And a necklace. A lot of people are tackling this problem. Again, like the stack is that. The stack is an LLM and, and, and Whisper TTS protocol. And so I'm wondering, because here's why I see everything playing out. Meta and Apple are putting an incredible amount of resources into the wearables. The Ray-Ban smart glasses, I think, is one of the coolest announcements of the year. And the reason why is because multi-modal uh, AI is going to be integrated into it. So it's going to do, as you say, it's going to be like the closest thing we have today to Jarvis. I know for a fact, like Apple's vision platform is going to become more ergonomic, is going to become more sleek. Eventually, Facebook and Apple will both just have like very attractive sunglasses, yeah. right? That we're going to have like on our, on, our, on our face all day. Always recording, always interacting with. And Apple even has patents now for like into the, into the 2030s contacts, right? And so I do think eventually we all will be wearing something. I think eyewear makes the most sense just for the visual context. But we all will be wearing something that is our personal Jarvis. The hardware is going to catch up to the point where it's going to be like immediate. And I do think we're all going to be like mini Iron Man. It's going to be sick. This is going to be 2032. You know, it's going to happen, I think, sooner than, than we think. And that's where this is all headed. That's so dope. Why do you think Humane went with a pin if it feels like the intuitive place for this to get to is, I think eyewear makes the most sense, just, like you said. 100%. So why, like, what do, you, what do you think about the Humane pin? Because when I first saw it, I was kind of just like, this feels stupid that they're, like, I like that they're, ta- I like that other people are taking a swing at hardware, but it just, it's yeah. almost like wearing a road mic, you know, no free ads, but like wearing a road mic. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you, man. I think eyewear is, is going to be the winning product just because of the visual context. So I, I, I think, like I said, I'm, I'm picking mine up on, uh, in New York on um, Thursday my, uh, on the 9th, my, uh, my Ray-Ban smart yeah, glasses yeah. or whatever. And I just, bro, I think that is a winning product. You know, I do too. Because of that context. I, I think it's always on. And imagine this, any builders out there, I'm thinking about Pokemon Go. Imagine an always on Pokemon Go experience where you're not actively play, playing it. Sometimes it just comes up into your field of view and like you perform an action and like you kind of like play this worldwide social always on game. I, I'm going like in two different directions here. One is I'm really, really excited for the builders out there to build like these mixed reality experiences because I think there is going to be a watershed moment where it's like a Pokemon Go type phenomenon like takes you know over the the planet so to speak and everybody rushes to go buy these mixed reality devices right i think that might happen in two three four years or whatever but to the point that i was making i do think that eyewear is going to be that winning product and so i don't know why the pin i guess it's frictionless it can uh there's like a holographic thing right the projection on your hand We'll, we'll see what it looks like. I, I don't, uh, I'm not necessarily bullish on it. We'll just yeah, say that. It's, it's probably too, like the, the eyewear piece is a bit of a moat in terms of like, if you don't partner with Luxottica, which I think Meta probably had exclusives mm-hmm. with, that's a whole new like domain of expertise. You need, Humane was going to bring in yeah. like eyewear specialists. So th- it was probably a combination of that. It was easier to ship the pin as like a tester. You know, they were trying to do something different, but I agree. Like I, I really want to get my hands on those Meta glasses. I was actually about to order them the other day because there's so many times where, I mean, this is so practical, but I'm walking with the dog in one hand, coffee in the other hand, and there's something dope happening and I just can't get my phone to it. And so if I can just trigger yeah, like, 100%. so that plus like, I feel like a phone doesn't do a good enough job of capturing what you're actually seeing with your eyes. And I, I think it's because both where you hold the camera, but also like optically you have one lens versus two eyes and like your eyes can see pretty wide. 
So I, from what I've seen, like every short or clip that I've seen of people using the meta glasses, they look dope. Like the, the image quality is really good. And like, it doesn't look weird. Like, you know, when Snapchat came out with those spectacles, they kind of didn't look that great. It wasn't like super seamless. This iteration I think is pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah. It's the first one that I've seen that's been like approved by the zeitgeist. Yeah. You know, it's like the first one, like any, there, there has been like attempts before Google glass, Snapchat spectacles. And it's like, the first thing is like cringe, corny, yeah, weird. Yeah. Dude, I remember Google Glass. It was some, I think it was like a dude that got beat up in a bar <laughs> yeah. because he was wearing it. I was like, are you recording me? I think culture will warm up to yeah. this, right? And like the privacy concerns will sort of uh, dissipate. But yeah, man, like you said, it's it's so convenient, right? The hands-free. And it's not just going to be voice activated. Like we, I love what Apple did with their vision platform where it's gesture-based. Yeah. And so it's going to be the exact same thing where say, um, even with the watch right now, say you, you can't get to your watch, you can like double tap your fingers. That's all going to come to these to these vision interface platforms. And I'm, I'm really excited for it. Like this is something that I will use religiously. Me too. Right. So. And I, I think, uh, and we'll go to the next topic in a second. I think the, a really practical example for why this was so dope is, so there's an app called snap calorie that somebody built. I think it's like an X, either X Google or Apple guy that with a, with a few raised like a seed round of like a million bucks and built snap calorie, which is basically an app that you, you can, scan your food like your plate of food and it uses like lidar or like image sensors to basically tell you exactly how many calories is on your plate and like what the macro split is and but like it's kind of annoying to use the phone and so when you project that forward it's like okay once you have the meta glasses when they put stuff like that in there you can hold up your breakfast and it'll be like or look down at it and it'll tell you exactly what you're eating like it's just gonna elevate all of the all of the problems that people have I mean, most first world problems are just based on like a lack of information or like a lack of knowing where to get the information. And when you remove the friction from that and immediately pipe the information in automatically, I think just a lot of things are going to change. Like health and wellness is a million applications, but you could, you could go down the list. Like it's, it, it is really going to change a lot of things. Yeah. And I mean, to take it one step further, I made a piece of content about this, but I've been thinking about this a lot lately is like the one thing that is still kind of, I, I guess, a little bit of friction when it comes to speaking to these devices, right? And so, granted, you will have like these gestures, but the gestures aren't so um, not perfect. You know, you know, like there's, yeah, they're they're not perfect, and they're also kind of like they can do like a simple task. But if you really need to interface with this device in a little bit more of a complex manner, it really has to be voice, right? And that's still a little bit awkward, especially in public. We'll see. Maybe it'll just play out where in ten years everybody's just talking to themselves, and it's perfectly normal and accepted. But I think how tech will eventually want to solve this and something that I get a little bit scared of, I already told myself I'll never do it, is, is brain chip interfaces. Yeah. Where you're interfacing with these, um, let, let's call it just like a pair of smart glasses with AI embedded into them. And you're interfacing, like you're just thinking and they're performing the action that you're thinking. I personally will never get one of these. I already said, right? Like, But I do fear there's going to be a time where just imagine how disadvantaged you're going to be if you're entering the workforce and you decide not to get these, these brain interface, like say in the, tw say 2045, I made the analogy. It's like steroids in baseball in the nineties, dude, like everybody was yeah, juiced. Yeah. And the reason why is because if you weren't juiced, you were going to lose a lot of money, right? That was like millions of dollars that you were going to lose out on. And it's going to be kind of the same way where people start getting these and they just have access to, to, to this world's information on a whim. That's going to be a huge advantage in the workplace, like economically. So I'm a little bit scared of that playing out where there will be a world where it's like you get chipped or you fall behind. 
that's yeah that's unsettling the new i was i was was thinking the new 3.5 millimeter headphone jack is just straight to the dome like a like everybody just (laughs) plugs in but actually do you think they'll like what do you think about this if instead of it's not not an implant but like you're wearing some sort of optical and there's a basically like a hearing aid that goes in your ear that's connected but the hearing it like the technology advances to where like it can be near your brain and still give you some of it are you still against that or you're, you're just like, I don't, you don't want the real time thinking to compute unless I guess like you have to do it, but I, hopefully it never evolves where you have to do it. Yeah. I mean, it's one it's of tough. those things, you know, I'm not like, I don't really like study futurism a lot, but I, I, I mean, you can imagine if you told somebody in the seventies where we are today, it would be absolutely horrifying, yeah. right? Like we have now these tech overlords that have access to everything we think, everything we do, everything we want, all, all of our desires, our fears, like they know everything about us, right? The government, this, that. So if you went back in the 70s and told somebody what life was going to be like in the 2020s, that is terrifying. But when it happens so gradually, it just becomes yeah. normalized. So potentially, I'm looking at this, this is terrifying, I'll never do it. But maybe in 20 years, it happens so gradually that we're just, eh, this is par for the course. This is just modern life in the Western world. Okay. Yeah. We'll see, man. I, you know, I don't, I don't love to like make predictions, but I do think that this is... Uh, it, it's like very obvious to where it's hopefully we'll be big by then and uh we won't have to do a demo on on the pod of us oh, exactly, installing man. but okay okay speak nah, hopefully i'll be out somewhere unplugged yeah offline's a new luxury yeah man. hopefully in 20 years i'm not even offline's online, the I'm new online going. man that's that's the key <laughs> face fusion so this shit's crazy and we you, you made a video about it riley brown is the first video i saw i don't know if you saw him first or like you discovered it on your own and made it but you guys made videos i tried to make a video basically face fusion allows you in one click to upload a source video of you talking and one source image so like a paparazzi picture of any celebrity you want or really like anyone it doesn't have to be a celebrity and this model puts the face on you and can render it if you have enough compute, if your computer's strong enough, can render it almost perfectly on your face. The, the, when you open the mouth and talk, it's like a little messed up, but like the face is really good. Yeah. This, this shit blew my mind. And there's a few threads to go down. One, like our videos, your video did pretty well, but my video and Riley's video didn't really resonate that well. And I, I thought it was gonna be mind blowing, but actually most people thought it was a little gimmicky. And so I'm curious your thoughts of why you don't think it resonated or if it just like scared people and then we can go down we can go down this rabbit hole for a sec cuz i think face fusion is pretty insane. Yeah, i mean i think the novelty just wasn't there, right? Cuz deep fake tech is something that's been around for 7 years now, maybe plus. And people have everybody's seen it. Everybody understands deep fake tech. And so what i think people didn't realize what we were trying to say is like, hey, this is now consumer level and it's trained off one image that's honestly not even that high quality of an image and this is the output that we're getting. Whereas before or even still now if you want to get it like you know, like those Morgan Freeman examples that we've seen or the Tom Cruise dude or some of the Barack Obama examples that we've seen, you got to really train on like a very large set of high quality images and you need to have like an incredibly powerful GPU and even then it still may take yeah. days. But now you can literally just put like a 480 by 640 pixel image image from, from Google and train on that and the results are pretty damn good. So maybe it's just that we didn't do the best job of like explaining why this is kind of breakthrough because people have seen so the video that i that i use it in that did well is because i also included a lot of other modalities voice um i, I like mixed them yeah, all true, together true. it was like seven different tools mixed together the one that i did on just face fusion like that eminem rap 
I think people have seen deep fakes, so it just wasn't that alluring. Yeah. There was no novelty. I think I was so shocked. Yeah, like you said, the the fact that I could make it with relatively no technical ability and like get the model right. downloaded, use it. It was like fairly easy to use on a laptop. Like that that kind of blew my mind. And I think the big question I have, which we can we can move on after after this one on off of Face Fusion, but the big question I have is in like 12 months, maybe sooner, it'll get to the point where anybody can deep fake anybody, but really well. So like, this was the moment where I was like, oh wow, this really opens up the Pandora's box to everybody to be able to deep fake anybody. And you know, it's one thing to like use it in a gimmicky cool way where you're just like become somebody on a piece of content to like joke, but deep fakes didn't really feel real to me until this moment. And so I guess just like open, open question is, do you think we're gonna, like, are we gonna stop this from being everywhere? Is it is it already out of the box? Like, are celebrities going to, similar to how we've talked about with music and with movies, are they gonna try to license their face so if anybody's making money off it? Like, do you think there's anything here? Or is this kind of a nothing burger? Like, it just not, not really super interesting and it, it'll evolve as it evolves? For me, I mean, there's there's a couple things. Like one, I think we're, we're playing our very small part in like, I, I do think that knowledge is power and the more, people are aware of technologies like this and where these technologies are going, the less in chance that they can be used nefariously. So if everybody understands what deep fake is and knows what to look for, it's uh, it really kind of like removes the, the intensity of, of like a sinister actor who, who just wants to, you know, stir up some shit. The, the other thing with all of this stuff, right? Cause we can talk about where this is all going. Now it's like, I could, I could turn into you. I could turn my face into you. <laughs> I could turn my voice into you. I could have, you know, with Hey Jen, I could, automate this where I'm not even doing anything and I could have jet I could I could train a model after your body of content I could have chat GPT or an LLM uh, create scripts that sound like you like in in a year I could like basically yeah. be you right I just don't Sam Altman made a really good analogy here where he's like listen man like AI can already play chess a trillion times better than humans it's not interesting to watch a human play versus a human I do think there's something about like the human element, man, like the, the spirit, the ingenuity that can't be replaced. And I think a lot about the, the aura theory in art where it's like, why is the, why is an original Da Vinci worth so much more than a, a replica, which can be by the way, or even like watches, man, or anything like you can now basically make a one-on-one, 100% perfect replica of anything. Yeah. But the original always still has that, that aura. Like it, this was touched by the artist. That that's like that human connection. So when it comes to all this, man, like even everybody's like, oh, all content is going to be automated and this and that. I, I think it's an opportunity, man, because like people want the actual. Like I'll, I'll say one more thing: if a movie's written by AI, it's just not going to hit as hard. Even if you know, even if it's an amazing movie, if you know it's written by AI, it's just not as interesting yeah. to you. I I like die on this hill. I think even even if AI gets incredibly good, I still feel like you need that, that human story. You need that connection. I call it like the spirit. I think that's really important. And, and uh, so I think what we're doing, like the kind of content that we're making, we're not going to be replaced by AI. I think on the contrary, I think it's going to make us more valuable. If that makes yeah, sense. I mean, the, it feels like the magic is in the craftsmanship, like the human craftsmanship. 100%, so, it, so maybe yeah. like the, the next, like as an analog, the next version of the blue check is basically like human certified where like, this this might be one of the only use cases that I see where like crypto is actually really helpful with like the the effective provable human signature where it's like when you put something out it gets the Roberto stamp that was you like 
people will trust that. I think yes and no. Like, because it's so much easier in theory than it is in practice. So for this to be in practice, okay, so the, like everybody has to agree to use the same chain, the same protocols, the same tech, every platform, every piece of technology, every piece of software, all just have to agree to use this and make this the standard. I think that's going to be very tricky to do. So yeah, I mean, I could... I, I just don't see how that'll work in in practice, oh, regardless of the implementation right? of it, like if it's crypto or not. But like right, right, the, right. the idea of the digital of of, of like crypto, your signature, yes, right. where it's like you can verify that it's from you, like that that will have so much more weight than it does now, right? Hell yeah, definitely. That's pretty. That's pretty interesting because I think the society's kind of built I, on I mean, that. Like, yeah? That's, like, yeah, that's why we I think fell in love with Web three initially, yeah. right? Like it, w- it was this idea like, hey, scarcity is now a concept that exists in the digital realm, right? And I think that's a big, big deal. And so what you're talking about is, is along those same lines, man, where it's like we could have original authored works that are, that are verified, that are signed, that are like we, we've brought scarcity to digital. Like how crazy is that concept, that idea? That was like the original promise and dream of Web3. It'll take time for, for it to get there, but I still think it's coming. Yeah, for sure. You want to transition to some of the we'll, we'll transition to some of the creator stuff. Yes, man, it's what yeah, I love. This is bro. this is the real this is the real sauce. There's, there's no better mind than Callaway when it comes. Let's to this, go. Bro. If you haven't subscribed to his newsletter, I'm serious. It is so thoughtful. Let's go. I appreciate that. So thoughtful. ChatGPT could never write. That. I hopefully not. That's the human spirit. Yeah, 15 episodes <laughs> in. Hopefully, ChatGPT could not write it. But yeah, I I really appreciate that. I wanted to start. So if you're listening to this, this is episode one of the pod. We're vibing. I think we've we've hit a vibe, so we're gonna be doing this for a long time. But I I thought it'd be helpful to give an overview of like why why you're so pumped for it, and like why from your side we should be starting this. Like why should this show exist in someone's rotation? What what would you say? Yeah, for me, you know, a lot of times people ask, "Hey, what kind of content should I make?" One of the easiest answers is like, "What do you wish existed?" Like, you know, what what and and so. I'm kind of applying that same idea to this show where there's a lot of dope podcasts out there. I know you and I listen to some of the same ones. I'm sure we have like unique ones that we listen to and whatnot, but I don't know of a podcast that is kind of talking about our combined loves and presenting it in, in, in kind of a, you know, like just compelling digestible way. So we both have like a lot of different interests, but I think where our interests kind of combine is like how emerging tech can be leveraged as a creator, as an entrepreneur. We love exploring this, this new world of, of, you know, this new digital era of creative entrepreneurship, of the idea of a creatorpreneur. We love talking about storytelling and visuals and the science behind the art, but we're also practitioners of the art. And I just think that this podcast can encompass all of that. And then the other thing that I love that you say, you kind of like, I love how you presented this, where in our research, right? And again, like I said earlier, Creators probably spend 80% of the times on ideation, research, scripting, et cetera. But in our research, we come across probably hundreds, if not thousands of stories, of ideas, of concepts. And we're able to distill those in our short form work and, and now like this long form format. But there's a lot of sawdust, as you call it, which I love, that don't make it into our work, that we don't broadcast, that we don't talk about. And this is our opportunity to talk about those 10, 15 to 20 topics per week that are super compelling, super interesting, that people need to understand and know about and just have on their radar. And this is our way to present it. And the last thing that I'll say, short form sometimes, like I'm a pretty opinionated person, like I'm outspoken. But if you 
in my short form work, I'm not. I'm just kind of like a presenter yeah. because there's not enough time to like really give my assessment or really talk about how I feel or debate these subjects back and forth. And I think this format allows us to do that. I think this, I think it's going to be yeah, killer. Me too. I, I think you, I totally agree with all that. And the, and the short form pieces was really frustrating to me at the, at the beginning where it's like, I've so many thoughts and like takes and even like just ways to package the information, but the short form canvas is so small. Like there's so few pixels to really play with. And so I, I'm so pumped to complement that with this like long form, we can get our takes off, but really there's like, it sounds trivial, but there really aren't that many people packaging up complex stuff and simplifying it for someone who's like us, right? Like us three years ago, who is trying to, trying to build and trying to like make sense. Cause the thing, the thing sometimes I forget is not everybody is like in the weeds on Twitter a million hours a day, like researching and like, like a lot of people don't like doing that, but they need to know what's going on in a consumable way. So like if they were to go to like the happy hour test, I call it, which is like if they were to go to a happy hour and they have five minutes to like tell somebody about something, they can, but they didn't do all those hours of research. So like, I think, you know, if you're listening to it to this point, we're like at the hour mark, I want this to become like a can't miss in the rotation for builders, creators, entrepreneurs. Like if you are playing in these spaces and playing in these circles, you're going to need to know this information and nobody is, pa- is going to package it as well as we are. So that's, that's our little, uh, yeah, there's the, there's the thumbs up. Thumbs yeah. Up, that's our little, uh, I agree, man. I, I, you know, I think let us do the 40 hours of research and deep dives per week and we'll synthesize that and present it to you in an hour. So if you're commuting to work, if you're on a run right now, if you're getting it in, if you're at the gym, it's like, I think we can bring a lot of value in the sense where we're equipping people with what they need to know, for more economic success, more conversational and social success. And uh, I think I think that's really, really valuable, man. And so I'm, I'm glad we're on the same page. And I wish something like this existed over the last yeah, five same. years. You know? and, the, and, the, and so, and there's a lot of people doing other niches. We, we both love our uh, My First Million, yeah. right? Great on like startups and like ideas. But like nobody's doing what we can do here. And I think that's really yeah. important work. To I'm do. stoked to see where it goes. We're calling it Weekends because kind of like a tribute to the Nights and Weekends idea where if you're a builder entrepreneur, if you're listening to this, you know that like when you're putting something together, you're thinking about it on your nights and weekends, you're working on it on your nights and weekends because the, where real like love and for building and like real amazing product comes from is in that time, I think. Like obviously people are working during the week, but like when you're working on shit on the nights and weekends, it's because you really love it. So we're calling it weekends. 100%. We're gonna build a whole movement around that. One, one other, we can do a few more, but one question I had for you on the content side. So this is a debate that I feel like is in my head a lot. And I wanna get your take on this because you've been thinking about this a lot. So this whole like short form versus long form paradigm. So a lot of, what I've heard in the kind of like, I guess the podcast and shows I listen to, almost everybody is thinking about it kind of like this. They're saying short form is the best way to grow the numbers of a following. It's the best way to get huge algorithmic tailwinds, huge views. It's hard to monetize and so, and it's hard to build depth. And so the goal for almost everyone I've heard is start on short form, use it to get traffic, get eyes, and then channel those eyes to long form. And that long form can be like 15, 20 minute YouTube videos. It can be podcasts like this. It can be audio only, whatever kind of like a long form format looks like to you. And so my initial, so I think you're, you're probably on the that side, right? Like that, that logic is exactly how you were thinking about it. And I can play devil's advocate, I guess, for the sake of the back and forth, but go through like 
your logic for why that makes sense. And, and my, I can like give my question of like, you know, the other side of like, are we missing something? But I'm, I'm curious to hear like how you think about it. Like, is that the right train of thought? Is everybody moving in the right direction? Like what, what is your, t- what do you think? Yeah, man, I think so. I mean, first on the nights and weekends, I love how you presented that. Like, I, I, I always love this visual of like, imagine, you know, 3 a.m., the city's asleep, it's cloudy, it looks like Gotham, you're looking at a building, 100 windows, only one light on, you know that's on hell yeah, right? Like, that's the builder. I love that visual. Yeah, when it comes to long, I'm, dude, I subscribe to that, I stamp that completely. I think that that is the game. Long form is where you build uh, trust with the audience. Long form is where you build that depth. Long form is a lot easier to monetize, 100 percent easier to monetize but short form is where the attention is so use short form to capture that attention and then you use like really savvy ways to to funnel that attention in a long form i think like stephen bartlett is a master at this as, as an example and i haven't really i'm like kind of spitballing here but yeah i mean like when you think about it like what drives the most depth probably the the lowest level is is short writing right so like tweets and then after that maybe like short audio and then after that maybe short form video and then long form audio, like a podcast, just audio only podcast, and then long form video. And probably the highest level of building trust with an audience is live streaming. If you're just live at all yeah. times and people can hop in and out. And like, this is why this new phenomenon of IRL 24 streaming is, is popped off. And this is why Kai Sinat, Aiden Ross, and these kind of creators are, have the most cult following, right? Just because I think that live streaming builds the most depth. So I think right under that is long form video, right under that is long form audio. And this is why I love podcasts because we're hitting long form audio and long form video. And um, yeah, man, people are just getting to know us. And like I said, trust is the game. Trust is the game. That's why when you're running for president, it's very hard as a newcomer. That's why it was easier for Trump, hate him or love him. At least you knew who he was, who, what, what you were going to yeah. get. And so that, I think that's why long, long form is, is kind of like the answer. So to play the other side, I guess, just for the people listening, if, if, they, if, they, don't, if they don't agree. So I totally agree that the depth and trust long form is unparalleled. The monetization. So here, this is my this is my question and thought, because zigging when everyone's zagging isn't always the right approach. Like being the contrarian just for contrarian's sake doesn't always make sense. But my, my thinking on the other side of this is this: most of the eyeballs, like most of the hours spent consuming, is on short short form right now. Like YouTube has a ton of traffic, of course. So that's like the one exception. But when you comes to TikTok and Reels, like that's where the majority of people, maybe not the people, maybe not the creators, builders, entrepreneurs, but like the average person is spending hours a night on these shorts. And so what I'm wondering is, is it possible that shorts is shitty to monetize today because the infrastructure for the medium hasn't really been built. YouTube's been kind of building this whole infrastructure stack for like 10 to 15 years. Shorts is like a newer thing in the last couple of years. So is it possible that the actual opportunity from a money perspective is short form? It's just the infrastructure hasn't caught up. And if it, the reason I'm saying this is if people are kind of going to like abandon their short form channels to focus all on long form, potentially they're almost like giving up a stronghold in what eventually will become the predominant platform. I don't know if that's true. I'm just kind of like presenting the other side because my brain is just like, there's so much attention there and monetization doesn't work with pre-roll ads or the way it works with YouTube, but maybe they're going to come up with a different paradigm. What, what do you think about that? I think it's perfectly possible. I mean, the the girl with the the facial expressions, um, Bella oh, Porch, yeah, yeah. Charlie D'Amelio, these are kind of like early prototypes, right? Like they come off, for, uh, came off solely off shorts. I don't even think, I don't even know, they might have YouTube channels now. It's probably smart that they yeah. do whatever. But there are, yeah, I mean, there are examples of that. I just feel like the classic, like if you look at anybody who is really, really famous online, 
They may have gotten famous from their shorts, perfectly possible. Maybe even probable at this point. But I do think that they become... There's a distinction between influence and fame and money and value, right? I do think that they build their value, their economic value, enterprise value, whatever it might be, off the long-form stuff, right? So even like Nelk. Nelk right now, their discovery is probably 90% short-form. Probably not a lot of discovery happening for them on YouTube, but like... Short form is probably like their biggest driver of growth for both their podcast and their and their long form like prank show, whatever. But I do think that most of the sales are still converting yeah, yeah. on their I long agree. form. Same as a lot of short form creators. This is why nobody should ever abandon short form. You should only lean heavier into it. But a lot of short form creators, the attention is coming into the short form video, but the selling is done on email. Like 95% selling is done on email or the YouTube videos or yeah. whatever it might be. So I don't know, man. That's interesting, bro. I think your thesis is, is perfectly possible, maybe probable because of where things are going. And I don't, I don't really have I an think, answer to that. I'd love to hear your. I, your so opinion. if if I had to like put gun to my head, like had to put the money, put my money, all my money behind something, I think it's a barbell strategy. With but you have to have both. You you really should have both. Like you can, if you had to pick one, I think you can win with just long form, but it takes a long time. So if you're just doing starting a YouTube channel from scratch and you're just doing podcast like video podcasts, it's going to take you three to five years like realistically before you're making thousands of dollars a month that you can like support your family on yeah. shorts though, you can grow much faster. But like, I mean, we've seen it like so many people have huge shorts audiences. They do like a merch drop and they can't even sell like 10 t-shirts. And, and I've seen it personally where the conversion to buy from shorts is very low. It's very weak. And because I think money comes with trust and trust comes with long form, like you're saying. So the, the question is like, what Bingo. is the right recipe of, doing enough short form to get enough new eyes on you, your face, your brand, and like channeling you. Because the one, the, the breakage is, it's pretty hard to get people from, from a short to the long if they're tied together. Like I think what ends up happening with someone like Nelk is, Nelk is everywhere on shorts. You see the face, you see the word Nelk, you see it everywhere. And then you go to YouTube, you search Nelk and you enter their ecosystem. But you're almost never like watching the long form video on YouTube to continue the little teaser you saw in shorts. Like that link is not there. And so I think the mistake a lot of people make is like, they're like, oh, perfect. I'll just like throw some shorts up that are like clips of my podcast and people will come in to watch the rest of the episode. I don't think that's how it works. Like I think you need to be making native short stuff and people get to know your brand and the way you talk on shorts. And then they'll go, like you need to be good at like, this is my name. This is who I am. Go find me on YouTube and like enter me, enter my ecosystem there. So yeah, I don't know. I I feel like the reason this podcast is going to be really successful is because we are creating natively on shorts. We're going to be creating natively on long. We have this podcast on long and we'll have clips of the podcast on shorts. And so we've got these two circles that are just feeding each other. Most people don't have that because they, they can't, they don't do shorts today and like, they don't want to learn how to do it. You know, that's a, that's a huge advantage. I think we have. Yeah. I mean, in the YouTube community, this is being talked about a lot. And like one, one kind of famous example, I saw this on Twitter the other day, it's Daniel Mack. You know, yeah, the guy yeah. who does what do you do for a living? Phenomenal shorts creators, tens of millions of views. And, and if you go to his YouTube, his shorts are blowing up. He's got 3 million subs, but he can barely crack sometimes like 10, 15K views in his long form, right? And so like, that's a classic example. And so now I'm seeing the, the kind of strategy play out on YouTube where people are advising against growing by shorts because it's just going to be like, as soon as you update, uh, upload a, a long format video, it's going to be crickets. And also the shorts, you're recompeting against the algorithm every time. I think people are more and more being trained, even myself, when I'm on my... First of all, 50% of YouTube is now consumed on TV. 
when I'm on my YouTube app on my TV, I'm tra- I've already trained my brain. I skip shorts. I don't even, if I see the short format, yeah, I don't even too. look at it. I don't, I don't even look at who's done it, who's uploaded. I don't care. And I think that's just going to continue to permeate. And so now on YouTube, they, they just announced, um, now you can link a long form video to a short. So I think the winning strategy moving forward on YouTube in particular is going to be uploading a long format video, creating it compelling, curiosity provoking short around that long format video, and then linking to it. Otherwise, shorts on its own, there has to be like a really deliberate strategy there. Otherwise, I actually think it can be it can be a negative to to a yeah. YouTube channel. So, dude, it's really it's really interesting because so that that it, where my mind goes is like okay, if that's the like predictable play like the playbook we just outlined, which anybody can start doing, it's just like effort. Basically, you have to have something interesting to say and like be yeah. compelling. But really, it's just effort. What I where my mind goes initially is like okay, what where's the alpha? Like, what is the thing that people haven't discovered yet that is I don't really like the word hack because it feels like you're trying to be phony and, you know, misguided, but we're trying to be super transparent and share what we're doing. But I'm, you know, I'm always just trying to like be provocatively thinking differently. Like what, what sort of, con- cause you're really good at this, right? You experiment with like different interesting formats. Like the thing you did on Instagram where it was, it was like a still image and your reel was the second thing. And the still image was kind of like bouncing on the side where you were like incentivizing. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's such a cool little like psychological trick to try to try to see if people convert more. I don't know if they did or didn't, but is there anything on the top of your mind that you've seen people do that you think increase, I guess if the goal is to get people to long form, really like increase the conversion to long form. I don't know if there's um, an answer to this. The, the one that always com- comes to mind is, is like Stephen Bartlett. Right, I think he's a master of uh, of converting his short form clips into his long form podcasts, and the reason why is because he approaches it as a Hollywood trailer director. So the same reason that a Hollywood trailer will pique your interest and cause you to go, you know, spend forty dollars to go watch the movie at a movie theater, are the same tactics that Stephen Bartlett is employing, and he's kind of like pioneered this. And now I see a lot of people doing the same thing. Well, really, his short form content now is this like curiosity provoking Hollywood blockbuster short, right? Where it's like, damn, I got to yeah, watch yeah. the rest of that interview where he's leaving a lot of things open and he's just like hyping it up. That's for that's for podcast. Otherwise, I think like, you know, what's funny. I was thinking about this earlier, like nowadays in the creator economy, when we talk about. It, it's like it's, it's so wide and diverse that there are no blanket statements yeah anymore it's just like talking about the economy now like what do you think works in the economy it's like well what are you talking about we're talking about manufacturing we're talking about tech we're talking about and and it's the same now in the creator economy where there's just so many different things happening that these blanket statements are 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 kind of hard to make so i want to i want to get your opinion man like what what do you think works to convert i don't know i I was i was gonna say like on that point this this is like a hill that i'll die on is around advice is like i think advice is almost like never valuable because the person giving it is never has the same exact circumstances as you. And that's why like with the, with the email I write, I try to make it more like, let me document what I'm doing and what I'm thinking about as deeply as possible. And if you can watch me do what I'm doing and pull anything of value, and then you figure out how to apply it to yourself, that's way more valuable than like me saying, go do this and you trying it. But like, I don't know your scenario. So I, I totally agree on that. I don't know. I, I agree with Steven, the Stephen Barlow thing. I saw a clip where he was saying, I mean, this dude's just a savage. Like he, he was saying when he does his podcast, he has a, a button taped under the table. That's so that. dope. And like he hits it whenever something's interesting. So yeah, I, I agree. This We definitely are going to try the cinematic short piece. I think that the real alpha is making content that's platform specific 
that helps build you as a brand around a certain like set of topics. And then when people are interested in you, they will find your longer stuff because people gravitate towards longer conversations. So like that it sucks. It sucks that that's the answer because that means double the work. Like what people really want is like a simple, easy button where they make one thing, cut it up a thousand ways and it works everywhere. But I actually think a better strategy is like make something on TikTok that works really well for TikTok. So like right now that would just be like probably handheld, limited editing, kind of like just raw takes. And if you can do that about, let's say for us about tech, that will build your like persona as like a tech person. And the people that want to consume you on a long form podcast will find you like they will find you because that's how, that's how like natural discovery works versus you trying to like jam the clips from the podcast. That's not form specific on TikTok down their throat. I think, I think that's when it doesn't necessarily hurt you, but I just don't think you're going to get a lot of conversion. That that's my, that's my like current thought. The problem is there's only so much time in a day. And if you don't have a fully automated content right. team, like you just can't tackle every platform. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's easy advice to give. Ideally, if you can, you want to be on every single platform and you want to be creating for the culture of that platform. And so the same clip should not be repurposed to every platform. It should be repurposed, packaged up platform, you know, specific to that, to the culture of that platform. Granted, it's just not good advice to give to somebody yeah. with limited resources or even myself right now, which I'm still very much like a one person yeah. team. Once they start building a team around me, it's like, yeah, that is the answer. More volume, more quality, platform specific, culture specific, you know, but at the beginning, somebody who's just a one man team, I, I, I do love the idea and the, uh, that, that you're able to create one short form piece of content and repurpose it and grow, you know, uh, at the same time amongst a lot of different platforms. I think that is super dope. That is not the winning strategy if you want to optimize fully, yeah. right? Mr. Beast doesn't create one piece of content and put it on every single platform. Every piece of content that he creates is platform specific. But yeah, it's just not good advice to give unless yeah. you have a team. And when you don't have a team, I think my, my, my take and not even advice, just like this is what I, what I did, basically what you did is you got to pick one platform or like one medium and just hammer that one and try to grow that one big enough where you can monetize it enough to then afford a team. So that's basically what we did, right? Like you and I were basically only doing shorts. We we're also writing a newsletter, but I think the writing comes easy to both of us. And so that was just like an add on thing, but like really shorts is where the majority of our time goes. Now we're launching the podcast, but we we're, we're hiring a team. We were able to like be successful from shorts, have income coming in from the shorts to then fund the team. Who's going to run the podcast. That's kind of like the strategy of pick a channel, grow it, monetize, whatever. And I wrote about that in the newsletter that went out today, actually. But one, one thing before we go, you mentioned this quality versus quantity thing at the beginning, which I want to get to. So you said you've been thinking a lot about quality of content versus quantity, like people that are posting like four or five times a day. Give me your thoughts. What, like, what, where are you at on that? What are you thinking? First, let me ask you a question because I'm curious. What do, you, what do you consider, like what is your main platform? Like what would you call your home on the internet? I don't know. I feel like the, the most original stuff I make is the newsletter. Like I actually think I, there's that, it feels like a format that not a lot of people have that's unique and like really building depth for the people that read it. Although it's not growing that fast outside of that, Instagram's the one where I feel like the most natural, mostly because my brain works in like an aesthetic product way. Instagram is more geared that way. I feel like the reactions to the videos are more raw and authentic and like less botted. That's what I would say now, but, but I'm not really like an Instagram guy, you know, like I'm more of like a podcast consumer. So I'm hoping this becomes it. I don't know. What, what, what do you think? Sick. 
No, I was just curious. Yeah, for me, it's, it's very much like Instagram is my HQ. It's the one that I value the most, the one that I care about the most. Like, I think TikTok, I have more followers, more views. But to me, TikTok is like my training grounds. Like, I'll, I'll just throw shit yeah. at the wall on TikTok. And then if something's good, maybe I'll bring it to. But Instagram is still very much so like I feel like my portfolio, my HQ, my yeah. home on the Internet. So I value it the most. But I, I just, I don't know. I, I just, I always think about that. So, so I was curious. Hopefully I want one YouTube, day YouTube to be it. I still think YouTube is. Because people, is people it, think right? YouTube, so, they associate YouTube with trust. They associate YouTube with like quality, I think, for, which is an amazing exactly. thing that YouTube's brand became. But I, I think, and well, now it's a little convoluted with yeah. shorts. So the subscribers matter a little bit less. But let's say pre-shorts or maybe somebody who just grew strictly with long form. I would rather have 100,000 active and engaged long form audience members on YouTube than a million followers on Instagram and maybe, maybe 5 million followers on TikTok. Like, I just think YouTube is very much, I heard this quote from my boy Kings. I I think it's dope where it's like TikTok is high school ball, you know, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram is college and YouTube (laughs) is the NBA. I just think that's so true. That's real. So true. Because it's, it's the most competitive. It's, it's, it's like the highest quality of content. You're up against the, the behemoths, I mean, the best of the best. W- one thing on that, um, a lot of these podcasts we listen to, yeah. they're audio only. They only get like 100,000 downloads an episode and they built five to $10 million businesses, just audio. So if you do that on YouTube and you have 100,000 right. listeners and you're getting the AdSense, that's, yeah, I agree. That's where the, that's where the juice is. That, yeah. That's the game, man. And so like, I don't know if you're on the same page, but like I really want to shift most of my focus and effort to long form this podcast, YouTube, and then I'm not going to abandon short form, but I'd rather instead of creating specifically for short form and one day if I have a team big enough or an operation big enough that I can do it like Beast where he's like doing both. But in the meantime, I think I want to put more emphasis on the long form newsletter podcast YouTube and then use that to break down repurpose into shorts, which may like lower, you know, I may grow. I won't grow as fast in these short form platforms. Maybe I'll get less views, but I think the I think yeah. it's the right move. So you mentioned quality versus quantity, man. I'd love to, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this because I, I struggle with this. Like sometimes I'm like, you know, maybe this guru advice of these people who are like, yo, just batch up a bunch of content, make like 20 in one night, fucking get it out there. It's all, by the way, it, it never works. It's all shit. Like your audience is just going to get less yeah. and less engaged. Your views are going to come down, but whatever, all they care about is selling the cohort to get to the next foot. Like I, but I struggle with this. I'm like, wait a second. Should I be optimizing for more quantity? Should I just sit down and like read, reduce the level of quality to up my quantity a little bit and over you know i i, I don't know man i actually want to hear your thoughts first because i'm very conflicted yeah, so on this, this is this is the t- this is the age-old question and basically on this one is like you got to play the i say it's like the what then game so like you you do something and then you ask yourself what then and you keep playing that out so like let's say you do it really is platform specific let's say you do uh quality so you, you spend a week making one video. Now, if it's a short, the, the reason why I don't think that's the strategy for shorts is because it's so luck-based if the algorithm rip grabs it. And I've seen you right. put out amazing pieces that just didn't go. And then I've seen you put out ones that you made in like two hours that went ballistic. It's like, it, it sucks that F... The, the ones that I take the most time on too, do the too. worst. Effort... Numbers-wise, but I do think... I do actually... Well, uh, I, I didn't mean no, to... No, go ahead. You, I'll... I'll Opine on that. I was gonna. I, I think effort is not necessarily correlated with output on shorts. Now on YouTube, I do right. think there's a truer tie between effort and output. And output, although it's not always there, right? Like some people spend weeks on a video on YouTube and it just doesn't do well. So 
there like I on the quality quantity debate, I bias towards quality slightly, but there's a limit that I that I don't think going past makes sense. For example, like if you made one video every two weeks, I don't think that's enough because it doesn't get you in the well it depends yeah, it all depends on what type of content you're making. Like if you're making like you know who Dodson is? Have you seen Dodson who makes those like you gotta look this guy up on YouTube, he's crazy. He ma- he makes he basically takes like a celebrity and does like a 17 to 20 minute YouTube like not even a documentary, but it's kind of like a his own format of like a mix of a documentary and kind of like an expose. And he posts like once every three weeks and every one of his videos get like 500,000 to a couple million on YouTube because they're so good. And like he spends so much time on every piece. So it's possible to do only quality, you'd say. But my take is that you need enough quantity to be able to get signal back that what you're doing is good enough. So like, the reason why shorts, I was like, I want to post it every day is because I wanted to speed up the time that it took me to get the feedback back that like I was either onto something or not. If I post once a week, not only will the audience grow slower, but like it's going to take me a six day lag to like get the feedback or maybe like a two day lag to get the feedback of what I'm doing. Right. So the, the argument for quantity, I think, is that you get faster feedback. But I have this gut feeling that people can only consume so much of you before they bucket you in their mind as like spammy, scammy, whatever the word is that they use. I don't know what that line is, but I feel like I'm approaching it. You nailed it. You nailed it because this happens all the time, man. I see creators and I follow them and then I'm just like, okay, I see their game. It's just quantity to sell the coaching or whatever. And it's like, and by the way, fair game. If like you're just creating content to sell coaching or to sell uh, whatever it might be, okay, like, fair game that that's just your thing right but like i i do categorize that like i they start they stop showing up in my feed because i just the algorithm <laughs> yeah. i train the algorithm i just i don't care i know this guy's gonna give some bullshit like life advice to sell me yeah some bullshit like i don't i don't care anymore i get the i get the shtick so that's interesting you say that man i wonder what the the word is there because there is i've got there, a guy coming a, to mind and, and <laughs> when you said you described that i got a guy that, on instagram that i like really liked but then oh dude i got te- i got like 10 I got like 10 where I'm like, holy shit, this is, this is just cringe. And so because of that, like that's trained my mind. Like I actually want to actually, can can I be honest here? Like I actually don't like any of the stuff that I'm Yeah, me either. I do do it for the audience because they like it. And so like, as an example, um, I have like this thing now and it's just like fun. It's kind of like a sport for me. How fast can I get a piece of content up? You're the fastest. You're the Michael Michael Phelps of of, of live reactions. It's like muscle memory, right? But I feel like if I wait four hours and just make the script a little better, it's going to do way. So I, I actually think it's counterintuitive, but the audience likes it, you know, and like it's like become a thing. And like the, the content that I'm making now is really for the audience because they want to stay updated on these things. I want to cover it for them, but I actually don't like it. I'm not excited to make it anymore. And so I probably won't anymore. And like now I want to do more like I love storytelling. I want to do I want to tell better stories. I want to I want to talk about shit that maybe uh you know, the masses won't care about maybe to like perform really poorly in terms of views, but I love it. And so I'm going to optimize over quality and depth over time because anybody listening, I don't think people realize how pointless and vapid views and followers are because there are countless amount of people on TikTok with 10 million followers. Nobody knows about them. They can't sell anything. They're like still broken. Like it does not matter. Think about this. Like, yo, Calway, how many times does your wife or your friends or whoever send you something? 
and like you watch, and it's like a talking head like us, and it's like okay, yeah. cool, and like you go, you'll never remember them again. You don't care. You don't give a shit about their story. What they're nothing, right? And so like people really, it's a, it's such a trap. It's a huge bro. trap. It is such a trap. People don't realize how pointless followers and viewers are these days if they're just like gotten through, you know, telling vir- like. Talking about, remember me when I made the Titanic video and I got like 4 million views. I'm yeah, like, this did it's the dopamine slot hey, machine. Hey, look, I got a 4 million view video. It's a dopamine slot machine. And so, yeah, man, I'm going to switch up my whole my whole strategy because I just feel like I'm, I'm kind of like an artist creator at heart and I've become like a news breaker. Dude, this is the exact, like this is the exact thing yeah, when, so. when we talked a few weeks ago. I was like, that's, I, I was like, because I try to, I try to, I have this interesting thing about identity, which we can get into too, but like I try to, distance myself from like what box am i in but the truth is when you're making content online people put you in a box and if you're not in the box you want to be in or you're not in the box that trust comes from that's not a box you want to be in so you got to figure out how to get out of the box and i think i also am in this like what's new in tech box which like at the end of the day if i'm being really honest the thing i would love to do most like my perfect work situation is a podcast like this as much as possible. I think every every day is prob- probably too much, but like, let's just say I spent two hours a day doing this. And then the rest of the day was like building dope product, whether it's physical or digital, just like working on a product that like improves people's lives that I like, yeah, that, that's yes, all I sir. wanna do. And so yep. I almost think like the shorts was a good way to trick my brain long enough into proving that I had something valuable to say. But at the end of the day, the medium is like not conducive to what I like or valuable really beyond just like like you said that like super vapid uh take i guess but so yeah so i i think like that's why i'm i'm really pumped about this podcast and i hope we're able to grow it you know like i don't want to grow it too fast where it pops and drops but like i want to grow it fast enough where this can become the predominant medium for us to get our takes off and like use the sawdust we can monetize this heavy where we can like cover our life burn but then we can we can shift into like doing what actually like if you think about the people you admire like None of the people you admire built courses. None of the people you admire like sold info products. These motherfuckers built real product. Like whether it's digital software or like physical goods, like everyone I admire, Disney, Jobs, Musk, they're they're built they're out there building like real product. Right now like we are not doing that. Or told or told beautiful yeah. stories, man. You know, like you know you know who I admire uh, almost more than and and like we're we're so similar. We probably admire a lot of the same people. These like tech entrepreneurs and builders and uh, but some of the people that I actually admire most in this world, maybe the most in this world, because and I'm not like a huge film buff or anything, but are storytellers, man, are the David Finchers, yeah, the yeah. Christopher Nolans, Martin Scorsese's that, you know, like to me, these guys are the savants of the world. Like they are the not to go on a tangent, but to me, like movies is the ultimate, bro, the ultimate form of art because it combines storytelling, combines uh, acting, sound design, cinematography, scoring, like coloring dude there's so many elements that come together that to me it is the most beautiful art form i celebrate those guys more than i would like a a zuckerberg or jack dorsey or whatever but again it's the same thing they're not you know like and so i'm actually trying to shift man i'm it's a very dangerous trap like i look at a guy like justin welsh who's making like five million dollars a year and i'm looking at but it's so like i don't and but you know what it's done some reflection in me where i'm like i i'm actually not after the money man like i'm after like just creating something that i'm really really proud of um and so i'm i'm with you a hundred percent of the way and i'm like that's why i'm so into this podcast man i think we could turn this into something that's what that's what i was gonna say is like so you look at someone like justin welsh i've never met him seems like a fine guy like awesome guy but 
the what it really comes down to is like what you're optimizing for and for i don't want to put words in his mouth but it seems like for him what he's optimizing for is like how can i spend you know five hours a day four or five hours a day earn enough money to like live the life i want and then like not be working like build build something that compounds whatever and on the surface that sounds like close to what you'd want but for me like yeah. I feel like life is about building dope shit that people actually remember you for. And I just want the the whole reason I want to put this content engine in motion is to help tell stories to people about interesting shit. Like I like doing that, but also it's to create a platform to then build the dope shit. Like I feel like most people get stuck in the content right, thing man. and they're like, oh, well, this is like super profitable and like people are buying the course and like, yeah, there's a 90% drop off rate, but I don't care. Like I'm, I'm, I'm making a couple million bucks a year and like, that's all I need. It's like, yeah, if all you care about is money and like sitting on the couch, fine. But like, dude, I, I think a lot of people were put on this earth to like build dope shit and like advance the collective forward with the contributions you make. And to me, content is, a, it's a very powerful lever to help do that in a monetizable way. I gotta stop doing the thumbs up, <laughs> but 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 like that's what it's all about. So yeah, I was telling someone the other day like my dream is to have a physical space with like one of the best like savant level like industrial engineer, software engineer, designer, artist like like maybe like a five to ten person like Ocean's Eleven type squad, and you just go to work, dude. Like you just make sick stuff. Like you create a pick a project, run at it for six months. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And you use the content as a platform to like do that more economically. That's, that's my dream. Bro, that is actually my, my dream too. And, um, it sucks with like a, a, a coast apart, but, um, or a land body apart, I guess, you know, you're West coast, I'm East coast. But I also think with this podcast it's going to be dope to be able to, we love telling stories and like being able to help tell stories of the creators the builders and just like the dope people that we admire and it would be yeah, cool yeah. to do it in we, person too. it'll get there but yeah the thing that you, the thing that you were alluding to that's kind of like my dream too I actually had like i started to develop like the early planning on this but i'm not sure i'm in charlotte i'm here because uh my my wife's family's here but i'm not sure this is like we've been having this conversation is this our home i'm not sure right but when we do figure that out like i do want to build a studio as well and like the studio i want to like I have like a setup in my garage, I'm in a freaking dungeon, I'm in a garage, but like I want a studio where I have like a talking head setup, I have a podcast setup, I have another just kind of like a la carte setup where you can set it up however you'd like with green screens or white screens, backdrops, whatever, and then I have like a couple office spaces, et cetera, and like while it's not being used, it could actually be like a, a cash flow vehicle, um, renting it We're out to get others there. or whatever. We'll, we'll get there. Yeah, man, having, having this space, dope studio just to create dope shit, have like a sick team around, just like building great products physical products, digital products, companies, brands, stories. I don't know what it looks like, but like this, this will be fun to, to slowly piece Dude, it together yeah. on this podcast. It's like, Oh yeah. The yeah. person who did that, uh, Ju- I don't know how you pronounce his name, but Justin, uh, C or say, yeah, it's C dude. He, C- he just, C- yeah, he bro, just opened that. I was like, Holy spider, shit. Man, that's that exactly like the dream. Yeah. Yeah. He's a killer. And I call him a kid only cause he's like 21, Damn. I think, but obviously not a kid. He's, he's a, he's a behemoth bro. Like that, that guy, uh, and he's, he's a hard ass worker. I don't. I, I think I've been following him, subscribed to him for like five years. I, I don't know that he's ever like taken Dude, a week he's killing off. It. You know, so kudos to him. That's man. sick. I'm, All I, right, I should we wrap it? Really. Should we wrap it here? Hell yeah! All right, if you're listening at the end here, make sure you like, subscribe. This will be on YouTube. Make sure you go on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Give us a subscribe or a follow, whatever the button is they're using today. Make sure you're subscribing, and we will see you guys on the next one. Peace.
Yes, sir. Appreciate you guys' support, man. We're excited oh, yeah. to build this weekend's.